Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Luke 6, 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Pop that back in there. Good morning. Must be very scary because everybody is in the back. And there's like all this space up here. Don't you want me to catch eyeballs with you? It's like one of my favorite things to do when I'm talking is to like look into your faces. But you're all far away. (laughs) So you are avoiding me. That's okay. I get it. I'm pretty scary English lady. Um... This morning, everyone was saying how chipper I was, and I was like, well, you know, slow morning, the birds singing and a cup of tea, um, and an extra hour in bed makes everyone feel a little more chipper, right? Um, Here we are. Today, we're going to be in Luke's Gospel in chapter 6, and um, Jeff read that to us. Thank you. Last night, um, Josh Rosenthal held a worship evening here, and perhaps some of you were available to come. And the heart behind the worship evening was to put behind differences, differences that we sometimes in the church community have, differences that we at Missio have had, and worship with each other. And on the table, he had rocks, and it was a way for those who came to be invited into thinking about forgiveness and holding on to maybe a rock that would symbolize somebody that would need forgiving or a rock that would symbolize something that we would need forgiveness for. And he helped us to have an evening of journeying through the idea of forgiveness. And I was able to see people that I haven't seen in a while. And forgiveness and setting aside differences is challenging. It is very, very challenging. But there's a goodness to that kind of work. It's the deep kind of goodness. We've been talking about the fruits of the Spirit, and today goodness is the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to be looking at. And um, along with each of the fruits that we've been looking at over the last number of weeks, we've also paired with those um, fruits practices 
practices that help us find our way in keeping in step with the Spirit of God. And they help us as practices to participate in the work of the Spirit so that those kinds of characteristics can show up in us. The characteristics of love and of joy and of peace and of patience and of kindness and of goodness. And today, Christian wore his hat for us, do good. Yes, there's a goodness. (laughs) Thank you. And so the practice that we've paired with goodness is forgiveness. And we all have people to forgive. We all have people to forgive. We're human. Like humans hurt each other. That's part of being human. It's part of owning humanness is that we know that we will hurt each other. We'll be hurt by others and we ourselves will hurt others. And so forgiving ourselves and others is the practice that leads us into goodness. So when we think about goodness, we have to ask ourselves, what is that? And so I went to the handy dandy dictionary to get a definition of goodness. And the one definition that I really um, appreciated the most and what stood out to me was the definition of goodness that paired kindness and generosity with goodness, it defined it as that which um, embodies or articulates or is manifested by acts of kindness and generosity. And I liked that. There was also a definition in the dictionary that said that goodness is the quality of being morally good or virtuous. There was also a definition of goodness that talked about it's the nourishing elements of food. I was like, oh, there's, there's a definition of goodness, the nourishing elements of food. Like clearly there are some broad definitions of what goodness is and how we can adopt that um, word and make sense of it and, and attach it to other kinds of things. But what I want us to do today is look at the words of Jesus in Luke 6 to find our way to an understanding of goodness. It's a moment in Luke's gospel where Jesus is on a hill and he's talking to crowds of people. And he's talking about his ways, the ways of Jesus, kingdom ways. And in the kingdom, he says, things are not always as we would expect. It's different than the hearers of the day were used to and it's different than what we're used to. And he stands up and he talks about how the poor and the hungry and the sad and the hated and the excluded in the kingdom experience goodness. And then he gives a warning to those who don't understand the true nature of goodness. And as he speaks about goodness, it's like he opens up the categories for what we might define goodness to be. He turns kind of our categories upside down. So let's read together verse 27. He's talking to this crowd and we inject ourselves in the middle of this conversation. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. 
right? We just got into the first basically line of this. And we are not used to this kind of declaration. Our society is not used to this kind of declaration. Our Twitter accounts aren't even used to this kind of declaration. We tend to want revenge on our enemies. Or at least hold them in contempt. Or maybe just ignore them. We want to shun or protect ourselves from those who hate us. Or rehearse our defense against them. Even if we're just rehearsing it in our own minds. This is my defense against you. You hate me. I defend myself against you. Oh, bless those who curse us. Dude, we find it difficult in our society to even have civil discourse with people who disagree with us. Never mind intentionally speaking good about or toward those who wish the worst of us. Instead, we're often rude or sarcastic. Or we belittle, demean in our language. It's rare, it's a rare moment that we hear blessing and then pray for those who abuse. We try to forget about them, hide from them, not bring up their name intentionally, which is what praying would do. Jesus comes and he says things right here that we are not used to hearing. But I say to you who hear, he says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse, pray for those who abuse, Right? He turns social action and social activity upside down with these words. And then he goes on. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Give to everyone who begs from you. Do not demand things back. If they strike you on the cheek, offer your others. Give your tunic, give your cloak. I, um, when I was about 25, I was in London and I went to see Victor Hugo's Les Mis. Has anyone seen it? Read the book or seen the film? Oh, yeah. I get an oh, yeah. It's like the strongest declaration I've ever had here. Oh, yeah. Les Mis. 
19 years, for those who don't know the story, and apparently most of you do, Jean Valjean is one of the main characters. He spent 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread because the child was hungry. So he spends 19 years because of trying to escape and it's this oppressive place that he's in. And he's finally free after 19 years. And no one's giving him the time of day because he's a criminal and so he's shunned as a criminal and as he is walking around this village, nobody is giving him um, any kind of grace or mercy. Instead, he's perceived only by what he is known as and that is a criminal. But this bishop takes him in and gives him a place to stay for the night. We you know what happens. He wakes up in the night and you see him stealing the silver, the forks and the spoons, and he's putting it in his bag. And then in the film, the gentleman who, the bishop comes and he basically like knocks him down, knocks him out, and then he runs off with the silver Jean Valjean. And the next day, the bishop is out there working the land really hard and um, you see the woman who's with him and she's bereft because her silver is gone and he's like don't worry we can use wooden spoons and forks and you kind of see her disgust like dude really and then here comes Jean Valjean surrounded by police and he's been caught and he has the bag of silver the police have the bag of silver and they walk in And the police say, we know this man stayed with you last night and he has this silver. What does the bishop do? He says, Jean Valjean, I'm angry at you. You forgot to take the candlesticks. And everyone's like, say it again, come again, bishop? Including the woman who's like a bit sad about her lost silver. You forgot to take the candlesticks. And the police are like, so the guys, like you gave him the silver? And he's like, of course, I gave it to him. He has this black eye. And then he sends the woman, go, go and get the candlesticks. He forgot them. She goes to get the candlesticks and he tells him how much it's worth. I'm angry that you forgot the candlesticks. It's one of the moments in the film that is full of so many moments, but it's a moment of goodness. It's so poignant because it's so unexpected. It's unexpected to the police. It's unexpected to Jean Valjean. It's unexpected to this woman. It's goodness. It's kindness and generosity. And it shocks everyone in the scene. And it shocks us as we hear it and as we see it and as we read it. Because it's so uncharacteristic of the norm, of the usual. Goodness in the eyes of Jesus is not what we are used to. He turns things upside down. There's a different quality to it. And it's unexpected and shocking. 
And he continues, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do, do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Now there's a word in this section that is repeated over and over again and it's the word sinner. And I want us to look at this word. It's a word I don't actually like that much, to be honest, because it has so much religious baggage to it. And it's a word that is used often by religious people to make others feel less than. Sinner is a bad person. Sinner is a bad behavior. And we use it, that word, against ourselves and we use it against others. And here, it's actually used to describe normal, even positive behaviors. So what do sinners do? I wonder if any of you would answer this way if somebody asked you that question. What do sinners do? Well, sinners love those who love them. Sinners do good. Sinners do good to people who do good to them. They lend. They offer what they have to others to use, knowing that they'll faithfully receive it back. This is a normal kind of good behaviors, right? Sinners love and lend and do good to people. And it's actually what the religious people of Jesus' day did really, really well. They did those things really, really well. Loved those who loved them, gave to people who they knew would faithfully give back, and they did good deeds. And these religious people were people that told everyone they knew and trusted God. And Jesus is pointing out here that actions like that don't actually identify you as people who have come to know and trust God. In fact, they reveal the contrary. You don't need to be connected to God in order to do good things. Jesus is pushing that there is a deeper kind of goodness that is indicative of the heart and character of God. It's radical. It's upside down. It's unexpected. It's extravagant. And it sets the goodness of God apart from just general goodness. It's the kind of goodness that loves enemies. It's the kind of goodness that gives even when there's no guarantees of return. 
And knowing God and seeing God will mean that goodness is manifested differently. It will feel and look and smell and taste very different. There's a moment in the Old Testament when Moses is talking about wanting the presence of God to be near him. And he says to God, I want to be able to see you. God, I want to see you. I want to know you. To know you is to see you. And in that moment, God says this, Exodus 33 and 19. Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. To see and to know God is to know his goodness. To know that he is merciful. To know that he is gracious. And as Jesus is standing there in the crowd, these aren't just words for him that he offers. Because he has mercy on all of us. He has mercy on you. He has mercy on you this morning. He has mercy on you always. His love, he gives, he does love, and he does good, and he gives all. And we know that the ultimate expression of that happens at the cross. He loves. He does good to humanity. And he gives all that he has. Monsieur, we can depend on God's goodness. We can depend on it. This shocking, unjustifiable, extravagant, unwarranted kindness and mercy, candlestick kind of mercy. We can depend on it. Because it's the kind of goodness that resides in God. It resides in him. It's who he is. It's what God is like. And it's extended to you. It's extended to you most profoundly in Jesus. That's part of what reveals his identity as God. Gracious to whom he will be gracious, merciful to whom he will be merciful, and that's all of us. And that goodness, shocking, extravagant, unwarranted kindness and mercy are what reveal our identity as his people, his children the fruit of his spirit will be revealed by this kind of goodness. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, don't demand them back. Love your enemies and do good. Lend. Expect nothing in return. On whom do you need to have mercy? Who are you struggling to love? Who has hurt you recently? Maybe as recent as this morning. Who do you lack the ability to offer goodwill to? Who do you lack the ability to offer good words towards? The practice that gets us to the kind of goodness that Jesus defines is forgiveness. It's the way that we stop living under the hurtful behaviors of others. It's the way that we stop living under the hurtful ways of ourselves. We learn to forgive. So the fruit that is born out of us is this kind of goodness. And it's not just a matter of being told to forgive. That's no good. It's not enough, right? I'm sure you've heard it a million times. Need to forgive. That is so unhelpful, right? Great. Thanks, preacher. Giving me zero tools to make that happen. We should practice forgiveness and we should help each other practice forgiveness. It's like a walking it out, a hard slog. We need to do it together so that we can be these kinds of people, the people of goodness, people that manifest the very character and essence of God through us by his spirit. There's many ways that we can learn to forgive. Josh, last night, mentioned a book called The Art of Forgiving by Lois Lewis Smead. Smead. Desmond Tutu and his daughter Mfo, they have a book called The Book of Forgiving. The material that we use here in our change groups by Michael Dye also walks us through a practice. And in it, he defines or identifies fears or barriers that like keep us from true forgiveness. Because it's hard and costly to forgive. One of the fears, if you could put that first slide up, is that forgiveness means that I must pretend that nothing ever happened. The truth is that forgiveness is not denial. 
You must tell yourself the truth about what they did, what you have done and how it affected you to really be able to forgive. Whether you're forgiving somebody else or you're forgiving yourself, you have to be able to name the truth of what that harm was in order to be able to forgive. It is not denial. And in order to get deep down, it may mean doing this practice of forgiveness more than once with one person, over and over, as many times as needed, as things keep coming to mind. Another fear is that if I forgive, I will become vulnerable to them again. The truth is that just because you forgive them doesn't mean that you must trust them again. Those are different things. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. You need two parties to reconcile. And reconciliation is the process of rebuilding trust. It is not forgiveness. It's not the process of forgiveness. Reconciliation is rebuilding trust. And so you do not need the other person in order to be able to forgive. Because forgiving doesn't mean that you must trust them again. In our unforgiving, I think we believe we can punish somebody or stand by what is right, but basically we trap ourselves because unforgiveness actually binds us in a way to that other person. And so what I want us to do this morning as a community is to practice together right now. And it may mean that you use this time just to pray for a willingness to forgive somebody that comes to mind. When I asked you those questions, perhaps there was a person that came to mind. Somebody that you are struggling to love right now. Somebody that has hurt you recently somebody that you lack the ability to offer goodwill or good words towards. And that person may be yourself. So I'm going to walk you through the practice of forgiveness this morning. I don't want to be that preacher that tells you that it's something to do. So you can just pray that maybe you have that person and you don't feel willing to forgive them. So pray that you would be willing. It doesn't have to happen right now. You can just follow along and read with me. If you have somebody in mind, I just want you to, in your own mind, in the quietness of your own heart and thoughts, um, hold that person's name. Maybe it was last night you have that person still, the rock that represented that person, or it's yourself. Sometimes the hurdle to forgiving others is that we have not yet forgiven ourselves. You can pull out a paper or pen, or you can close your eyes. You can keep them open, whatever you want to do as we walk through this practice together. I'm going to pray first, and then we'll do it. Jesus, your goodness is rich and deep and sometimes it feels completely unaccessible to us. 
The idea of loving an enemy or being kind to somebody who has hurt us deeply or praying for an abuser is so upside down and out of this world that we need your help right now by your spirit to make forgiveness possible. And so I pray for your people. I pray for myself. I pray that um, we would attune to the things that we want to name inside of ourselves so that we can find our way to freedom and in that freedom find our way to the fruit of goodness. So as we practice together and as we keep on practicing as a community, like help us to walk in step with your character, with your goodness. Bring safety, bring peace, bring love into this space by your spirit now in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want you to do and think about is the wound. What did this person do to hurt you? Did they criticize you? Did they abuse you? Did they ignore you? Did they lie to you? Betray you? What did this person do to hurt you? How has it affected you? Depression? Anger? Stress? Isolation? Working too much? Codependency? This is naming the truth of what that wound is and what it's done. What did they do to hurt you and how has it affected you? Now think about your judgments. What are things you've believed about them? We use judgments to self-protect. Maybe you think they're weak, or they're evil, or they're stupid. That they didn't love you, that they didn't care. What are the things that you have believed about them? Confess those because these are critical opinions of someone else's motive and heart and only God can judge someone else's motive and heart. So confess those. You don't know the heart and motive of another. And these judgments will keep you from forgiving them. Now identify what debt they owe you. What do they owe you? What would they have to do to even make them trustworthy again? Would they have to apologize, change their behavior? Would they need to give you money, make restitution? Would they need justice or suffer? What, what debt? 
Identify it. What do they owe you? Could be a lot of things. That debt has to be absorbed. That's where forgiveness comes in. Jesus absorbed debt for us. He has absorbed your debt for you. He always offers you mercy and grace. No matter what you've done or what you've said, he absorbs the debt counts you free of guilt and shame. And he gives us the strength to do the same for others, to absorb the debt. So as we walk through this prayer of forgiveness, I want you to know that you're addressing Jesus. The one who forgives you. The one who tells you that you're free. The one who himself absorbs debt. And so as you say this prayer with me, know that you say it to him. And if you can't say this prayer right now, you can just let the words roll in the room. But if you can, Say this prayer. You can either look and read it or you can say it in your own mind as I read the words. Jesus, I bring and I want you to imagine this person or have this person in your hand or open your hand with the rock. I bring this person before you. Jesus, I bring before you. I cancel their debt. I choose to forgive this hurt against me. And I ask that you would not hold this violation against them on my account. I release them from any desire on my part to see them punished. In fact, as you have told me to do, I bless them in your name. You know what would bless them. And so I ask that you would pour out your love and healing on them. And bring them your highest good. Because your name is love. Now also I ask that you would please heal my heart. My body, my mind. Set me free to love. In Jesus' name. Amen.
We must learn to be a people that do this. To live and breathe forgiveness. It's what it means for us to be the people of Jesus. Filled with his spirit, giving us the courage to do things that are hard. Very hard. And forgiveness is hard. I want to remind you again that this is a practice. And so you may want to do this a few times with this person. Maybe that you just do it for the first time. We'll put this and other resources up on the blog. We need to be a people who practice forgiveness. Living the way of Jesus in step with the Spirit. Demonstrating the love of the Father so that his goodness can be in our midst. So we can love our enemies. Do good to those who hate us. Bless those who curse and pray for those who abuse. That's the work of goodness. The fruit of goodness. And it's the very character and nature of God as demonstrated to us in Jesus. So as you come to this table today, whether you have been able to forgive somebody or not, whether you've been able to forgive yourself or not, it's given to you freely. So as you come to this table and as you eat bread and as you taste juice, it's a declaration that that is true over you. That he doesn't hold anything against you on your account. Nothing. Nothing that you have done. Nothing that you will do can separate you from his love. That doesn't cheapen grace. It means that we declare what is true about God's goodness more than we declare about our behaviors. And so you come to this table and you will taste his goodness. Whether the bread tastes good or not, or the juice tastes good, gives you this picture that you could taste something good. And in the presence of Christ, he always wants you to taste that which is good. So that you have that which is good to offer the world around us. So Monsieur, come to this table and taste the goodness of Jesus. If you need someone to follow up with you, to pray with you, about anything that you have named today in the quietness of your own heart and mind, please come. There are people at the side. Let's pray. Jesus, as, as the song we sung is true, that your goodness is vast and measureless and boundless and free. And that your kindness and generosity are indicative of your character. And that there's nothing that can stop your character from being what it is. I am the Lord. And my goodness, as it passes by Moses, what you declare is that you are the Lord, merciful and gracious. And so I pray that somehow, somehow, we would taste that. We would see it, we would know it, we would believe it. That you, by your spirit, would transform us so that those are things that we embody and believe and live out of the truth of. 
And I pray that because of that, this week, people in this city would taste candlestick kind of goodness because we're so in step with what is true of you and in step with your spirit that you would become animated and alive through us in this city. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.